millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're talking about organ donation in the black community with NHS organ donation. So people from BAME communities represent only 8% of all deceased donors last year, but 31% of people on the transplant waiting list are ethnic minorities. So there is huge disparity between what is needed and what's actually available. Um, in today's episode, we're going to try and discuss some of the preconceptions and the stigma and myths around organ donation, as well as give you some of the hard facts and try and have a conversation about how we can effectively you know, have these conversations in our family and friendship circles. Um, and later in the show, we'll be hearing from Rachel Rosen, regional manager of the London Organ Donation Team. So to kick things off, guys, what do you know or what comes to mind when you think about organ donation? That little game. Oh, d- the, doctor. That game where it's like the body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you like oh, put your... What's it called again? You have the silver thing and you put operation. your thing around it. Operation. 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 Like, yeah. <laughs> that one. That, that comes so to mind when you think, think of organ donation. Someone's cutting over your belly. Okay. Leanne, what do you that think about? That is such a morbid <laughs> Um, well, obviously, I've discussed this on the podcast before, but I am an organ donor. So that's obviously what immediately comes to mind is just kind of going back through that experience, that kind of flashback moment, I guess, for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I'm actually really I get really excited talking about it because I think it's such an important um, thing for people to be aware of. I think a lot of people, especially in the black community, is something that we don't discuss. So, yeah. So, for those who aren't familiar, do you want to talk a bit about your actual donation and how that happened and why it happened? Um, Yeah, sure. So, uh, my mom was diagnosed with kidney failure in 2003. So, that was, I was in my, going into my second year of undergrad. Um, And I guess for transparency, the reason that she developed kidney failure was because my mom had like arthritis and gout um, for pretty much as long as I can remember. So she was on like really strong doses of ibuprofen. Um, So for anybody who depends on pills for pain medication, it's probably not a good idea. Um, So, and then, um, so yeah, so in 2003 she was diagnosed and she was on dialysis for a while. Um, Randomly uh, got a blood transfusion, kind of a routine thing. And there were antibodies in the blood transfusion that she got. And so my brother and sister and I had been getting tested at the time. And Sorry, I was just quickly. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. How's when you get a blood blood trans, blood trans what the hell? <laughs> Sorry, when you get a blood transfusion, isn't that for you to get clean? You talking about dialysis? 
No, this is just like she needed blood because she had an incident, I think, where she was had some internal bleeding. So don't they check what the blood did they put Yeah, in they then? should. But, you know, sometimes in places they don't filter it properly or it was it was a kind of anomaly. It's not something that normally happens oh, or always happens. Yeah, usually. And this filters into the issue of blood donation as well. Usually what happens is that they get the blood, they filter it, make sure that the antibodies are clear. I don't actually know the details of why she got unfiltered blood and I don't want to say where she got it from, but, um, but yeah, it was, it created an issue because what happened was that, um, while all three of us were matches, there were foreign antibodies that weren't compatible with us that were introduced into her body. Um, and so we actually went through this process or she went through this process called plasmapheresis, which is essentially where they filter your blood. Um, it takes like six hours per session and then you filter out your blood. They essentially empty your blood, clean it and then put it back in. Um, and then in 2006, that enabled us in 2006, uh, July, I believe it was, for me to give her a kidney. That's kind of the beginning and the end summary of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for... I'm, I'm sure like we'll, we'll obviously get back to that and there'll be loads of questions that I think we'll want to answer. But... I mean, like, what do you guys think are some of the biggest myths around organ donation? Um, I think there are loads. It's interesting. When we're going through the process, we had to do a lot of, like, we had to go to counselling, make sure we were kind of emotionally and psychologically prepared. And then we went through training sessions where we got, like, step-by-step advice about or information about what exactly would happen from beginning to end. Um, and we did that with other people and other families who were either considering donation or, you know, still on dialysis but waiting on the the list, the donor list. Um, and loads of things, like loads of people were afraid that their organs were going to get given away to somebody else. Um, if they did donate a kidney or if they did no donate an organ, lots of people. I remember my mom, actually, one of the first questions that she asked when we were going through this process was, would her personality change because <laughs> no, <is> that, no. <laughs> because she was getting an an organ from a foreign person, from a foreign body. I've seen body, that you know? in like cartoons. My auntie, like, that, my, my auntie that I spoke about before on the Young Carers episode, she had to get a kidney transplant as well because she had dialysis. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she I asked her a hell of questions and that was one of them like, what are you going to call your kidney? Like, what, what, what? <laughs> she named it, you know, I think she named it. What did she name it? Something dead as well, like some stupid name, like, like Trudy or some... Trudy? No, no, Trudy. Shout out Trudy, Trudy the kidney. It was just some random name that I didn't understand why that was being... Mm. Why that was... What I was being given. Yeah, but it's crazy, right? Because we're all like my mom, who was a judge, like very kind of well informed about stuff, had no clue anything about anything about organ donation. So I don't think it's like uh educated or not educated. I think people just have to do the research, you know, yeah. and really kind of dispel the myths for themselves. Because I'm not mm. sure if it's an actual myth or not. But I know that like I've heard a lot of people say that if you put yourself on the waiting list for it. Well, obviously the law's changing, but right. if you put yourself on the waiting list for it and then you're in hospital and you're ill, no, this sounds so silly. That they'll try to kill you after. <laughs> they'll try to kill you to kill No, it's a real thing. That's not a real thing, but I think it's a real fear that people have. And to be honest, I don't know if it's a, if it's un, an unreal or an invalid fear because I think there is this huge mistrust of the NHS by black people. Black people. Yeah. And there is good reason for that because mm. personally, I can say that every experience that I've had in an NHS setting, 
I've not been treated well. Mm. And I would largely say that's probably on some level because I'm a black woman. Mm. Um, you know, there's this presumption similar to what we were talking about when people are giving birth that we're more tolerant to pain, mm-hmm. that we have higher thresholds. So I think there is this like, as you said, this myth. But the truth of it is, is that not anybody can give anybody a kidney. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. You have to have blood type matches. You have to have way. tissue matches. You have to be a certain weight. Well, if you're deceased, that's less of an issue. If you're, mm. <laughs> if we're talking about living versus uh, deceased donations, it's different. But for deceased donations, you have to have a matching tissue. For any donation, you have to have a matching tissue and blood type. So if you go in randomly, they're not going to just be able to take a kidney out and give it to some random white man Mm. unless there's a tissue and blood type match which is commonly more uh the matches are commonly more found amongst people who are of similar races so if that's your concern i think it's one that if we just look up the research and the stats it will show that that's not a Mm. valid fare to have Mm. rishan has um organ donation ever come up in your family like is it something you've ever talked about i mean obviously you mentioned your aunt but i mean yeah has it ever come up as a conversation like, oh, would you do it? I don't know. Um, not really, because obviously I speak about my aunt a lot, so I'm really, really close to her. So it's kind of just been something that's been really natural in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think when she had she had dialysis for a really long time, and when she told me that she needed to get a kidney transplant, I was like, oh, can I do it? Because in my head it's just like it's life or death. I'm saving my aunt. What of do you course. mean? And like I think, I think a lot of people. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around it, and a lot of people have the varied reasons of why they don't want to be an organ donor or whatever. But when it really hits home and it's someone that you really care about, I don't really think you will think twice. Because when you're when I'm watching my aunt, like what's the is every other day, isn't it? Well, I think everyone has different types, but she used to go every other day, and then she's literally sitting down for time, just getting. Like this blood thing, like it was like it had a massive impact on her mental health. So when you're watching mm. that, you're only gonna want to be there as a, the, the the piece to the problem. Do you get what I mean? So mm. I think because of that, we, we spoke about it a lot as a family because it was kind of like, well, what can we do to help? And then I remember my dad was gonna do it, but he, that's why I said the weight thing. Oh yeah, but that's quite big. <laughs> um, but he was gonna do it, and then he was like, okay, I need to lose lots of weight to mm-hmm. be able to do it. And his weight was just doing madness up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. So nothing ever happened from it. So I think in mm. my family experience, it's quite. My family's quite liberal in general, though, so, Mm. yeah. Yeah, I think just to touch on what Shan said, it's true. I think people think that dialysis is a permanent solution, and it's really not, like, dialysis is really difficult on the person that goes through it. And, yeah, it is usually, like, every other day, some people every day, dependent on how poor their kidneys are functioning. You have to go in for several hours, and it is essentially, like, they're filtering your blood because they're filtering everything, all of the kind of toxins out of your system, etc. And it leaves people really drained. Their emotions are really low. Um, I mean, my mom used to literally leave court, go to get her dialysis, go back to court, and at the end of the day, she was just completely, completely drained and exhausted. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely not... And it doesn't resolve the issue of the of the poor kidney function and it's so isolating you're just chilling like not only that but it's a scary situation because you usually exactly i was just gonna say there are people around you that are probably sicker than you so you're like you know you walk in and you might be relatively okay whereas people are like being wheeled in there are people that are practically on their deathbed my aunt aunt, i remember she was 
there was times she kept seeing people getting kidney transplants, like one after one after the one after after other. And she's like, oh, when's it gonna be what? When's it gonna be my time? But there's also times when it was actually just people dying, mm-hmm. and they're people that you make friends with because you have your regular slot. So she, I think, has always at four o'clock or whatever time it was. So she'd always go there for that time. And it's like your bro, like you're like your best friend at work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you got a best friend every day, and then she gets a new job, <laughs> and then she's gone. But really, the reason that she's but gone it's is because she's dead. Like yeah. that's that's crazy, man. It's, yeah. It's such a sad thing. But even if you look at like DJ Ace from One Extra, yeah. Yeah. yeah and like yeah. seeing him go on to Channel Four and like speak openly about how much he needs a kidney. I don't know, man. If it, that's so deep. That's mm. this is like this is actually like literally life or death. And I think I think it's hard when it comes to donations because obviously I'm talking about kidneys specifically. Yeah. Then we have two of them. Yeah. Because, but even with your liver, you can you can give a part of your liver away. You don't have to give away yeah. the whole thing. And your liver regenerates. I think pretty much any organ that you have, lungs included, you can donate a part of it and still lead a relatively normal lifestyle. Mm. Mm. So how is your aunt now? Like how is she doing now? Um <laughs> well, she's been doing fine with the with the kidney transplant, and obviously it's helped her a lot because you see, I've seen like her be able to be more mobile, not have to always be in hospital. But she's got like other stuff wrong with her, mm, so it's like right. it's, it's never that ended the experience. That was like yeah, one yeah, cure, yeah. and then like now her kidney's starting to fail, like it's starting to reject. Mm. So now she's gonna end up having to go onto the list again mm. b- because the one that she has now isn't working anymore. Do you get what I mean? How mm. long has she had the? Has, did she have the transplant? Um, I can't remember, but not not that long. Okay, not that long. Maybe like three years, I think. Cause when my um after we did the kidney transplant, my mom's started to reject my kidney as well, like almost within the first six months. And what they did was that we had to have plasmapheresis again, or she had to have plasmapheresis again to kind of again get rid of the antibodies that were trying to attack the kidney. And um after that, you know she was good. She was fine. I mean, obviously, as like mom, like you said, my mom had gout, gout and arthritis and stuff like that, and subsequently um, got cancer. But I think it definitely improved her quality of life, for mm-hmm. sure. And when you think about, as you said, celebrities, whether it's DJ Ace or um, there was a famous basketball player who got a kidney from someone years ago. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Akeem Olajuwon. Um, I can't remember who it was, but um, he went back to playing basketball, you Mm. know, and so you see the difference that it makes in people's lives, even when it's, I always said this, even when people talk about me giving my mom a kidney and I'd be like, yeah, but if it was anybody that I knew, why wouldn't I? Because I can live without the one Mm. and the limited risk that I have relative to the impact that it's going to have on somebody else for me makes it worthwhile. Mm. What's your thoughts on it? So... My aunt, um, who I've mentioned before, that's had cancer three times. The first time she got cancer, she needed a um, bone marrow transplant. Mm. And my dad was just like, I'll do it. Like it was like you said, it wasn't even like you had to think twice about mm. it. It was like, that's my sister. Like, I'm coarse. And they were really like, are you sure? Do you want to go home and think about it overnight? Get all the relevant information. He was like, no, like we could do it right now. Like, <laughs> And I'm ready. I'm ready, honey. Split my back open. (laughs) But I think, like you said, if it, like you know, it really does become real when it is family, and it's actually quite, you know, it's not to get soppy, but it is a beautiful thing. This idea that like you can give someone else Mm. life, almost like you could give someone 
you have enough health in your body to give someone else an opportunity. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think it's something to ever take for granted, really. Yeah, it's funny, especially with bone marrow, actually, because... What's you that, need sorry? it needs to be a fa- like literally when people have like leukemia or bone cancer they take the bone marrow out. This is so this is um, this was her spine. Yeah, so, so they it was suck, literally a part of her spine. So they suck the bone marrow out of your bone and then I guess you use What's kind the of, So you know okay you don't eat a rib. <laughs> you don't eat I mean you don't eat, eat meat anymore. I know what you mean though. Yeah, and, and you know there's the, like chewy bit at the ends. You not That's marrow. Don't eat too close to the bone. <laughs> Girl, we black. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you have like the you the have black the black bit inside yeah that's yeah bone that's marrow, marrow. Oh, yeah. so if you need a bone marrow transplant you need the black bit transplant yeah 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 right. okay so but it has to be from like the match has to be so close for you to be able to get a bone marrow transplant mm. successfully that it almost always has to come from a family member mm. um and it, yeah, it's just, I think it is a really beautiful thing. And it's something that I don't think I really acknowledge. Like, it's something that I was almost like, not ashamed of, but you know, you don't really ever want to like toot your own horn. And you do think like, oh, it's something. I say my mama. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do for your mama? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> because it's something that you just think you should do, right? Like, yeah. it's something that you feel like is part of your obligation. Like, this woman has raised you and given you life. and But it's like a really empowering thing and you find that actually studies show that psychological the psychological well-being of donors significantly improves after giving a don't a don or being a donor or becoming a donor so because we all need to do it yeah i mean <laughs> i think it is a really personal choice and i understand mm. there are people who don't want to do it because of religion mm. um and it is a scary thing or it can be a scary thing for some people so i really think that people need to do the research that's probably the most important thing like whatever decision it is that you come to particularly in light of the new legislation um which is an automatic opt-in yes mm. yeah um so basically if you don't sign up um if you don't opt to sign out when you die if you die your organs will automatically go somewhere else what and if that's what do you guys think about that I mean, I think it's a practical consideration. I think it makes sense. Mm. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm dead. So for me, you know, I've already given one when I'm alive. I certainly don't have a problem with one. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of my, you know, instead of my organs just lying there when they could save somebody else's life. Mm. But I do think that there are considerations. Like I said, religion, I get that a lot of... So I think Jehovah Witnesses, for instance, don't believe in like blood Blood transfusions or organ donation of any kind, which is fine. That's their personal choice. Mm. And I'm never one to argue with people's faith. Um, I also think there's things about age. So I remember when we were doing the kidney transplant, there was this guy there that was like, yeah, but suppose my kids need a kidney one day. And I was like... You kids aren't, you don't even have kids yet. Like, relax. <laughs> but I do think if you're, you know, there is this kind of natural cycle of life, and this sounds very harsh to say, but my mom was like in her 60s when this happened. No, younger. She was in her 50s. But I don't know. I think medical experts would say if she was 90, would I be giving her a kidney? Mm. You know, I mean, I think there are practical considerations to make about the natural course of life and how much we're allowing science to make impositions on the natural order of things. Mm. And I think even if you do have religious beliefs, um, you know, as you said, like some people who are Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a total like no, no. And like, Mm -hmm. as you said, like that's their belief. That's fine. But I think there'll be some people that it just comes from lack of ignorance Mm -hmm. that, you know, they think that their mum's just going to be cut open and they're just left 
just for, like and it's like no it's not like that like like she would still be able to bury her you'll still be able to you know take care of her body it's you oh, know yeah, what I mean 100%. like I think there's a lot of ignorance of how the actual procedure itself happens and goes down because mm. I think some people would but worry about think, what happens that, to the actual body it's still afterwards. a bit scary do you know what I mean like Hobby C is that Hobby C the one that used to in hospital oh yeah yeah Hobby C yeah. I had to start watching that shit when you're watching it open up and you're seeing ding, 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 it's going to be inside. No, it's actually, it is quite scary. And that, that's, that's why for me, I when I, when I think about organ donation, I think about the frustration game because it's just like, I just think about being cut open. But the truth of it is, is that the donor's part is actually way easier than the recipient. So for me, my surgery lasted an hour, I think, maybe an hour and a half, because literally they did what, they did the surgery laparoscopically. So laparoscopically is essentially where they just make really tiny incisions and they stick a tube in and they kind of almost suck the kidney out. Oh, wow. So literally I have one small scar above my belly button, two small scars. And when I say small, they're like, how big is this, guys? I don't have... Like two centimeters. Yeah, two yeah, centimeters, if that. if that, on either side of my tummy. And then I have uh, a scar right by my bikini area which is comparable to what you would get if you had a c-section it's actually smaller than that mm. um and so really simple there aren't that many marks you actually have to see me naked in order to know that you know that's happened but <laughs> then on my mom's <laughs> but then on my mom's i didn't know because if i wear a swimsuit you actually can't see it you know like even mm, if i'm wearing really a bikini deep, it's yeah. not it's not that massive it's not a massive cut open whereas on my mom's side they had to literally open her up. So she had a scar going all across the way, all across mm-hmm. her tummy. Um, they had to take out the bad kidney and then put the actual kidney in. So her surgery was like three and a half, maybe two and a half to three hours. Her Were recovery they the period. Day? Are they on the same day? Yeah, same day. Because you have a limited time period for living, for both living and dead deceased organ donations to mm. get the organ into the body. And her, I was in the hospital for two weeks. Um, there's a really funny story about that, which I don't know if I should tell <laughs> on the podcast. But I will. But my mom said she was in the hospital recovering for like a month. I was going to say part of the reason that I was in the hospital for as long as I was, was so, OK, so the first couple of days after you come out of surgery or the first day you're like in ICU or whatever, and you're kind of groggy, you're kind of in pain or whatever. And then you transfer over to the floor and you can't be on the same floor as the person you're on the floor below because like infection, they're more prone to infection and everything. As I said, my recovery was just like any normal recovery. So maybe three days in, um, the hospital I was at was a teaching hospital in the States. So obviously oh there's gosh. a lot of like student nurses coming in. <laughs> Have I told you the story before? I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> and so one of the things that you have to do within the first three days or the first couple, the first week is like, you know, you have to, you have stitches and stuff. So they have to help you walk around. They also have to give you stuff to go to the bathroom because obviously they don't want you to strain. Right. So a nurse came in <laughs> to give me a laxative <laughs> up um. my, you know, um, in bum hole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she put it up the wrong hole. <laughs> I did not think it was going this way. <laughs> she put it up the wrong hole. And I kept saying to her, you've done it wrong. And she was like, no, I don't think so. She was like, make what? sure. Because literally, you should go to the bathroom. Once you get a laxative up your ass, you should go to the bathroom within like 20, ASAP, 30 minutes. Like, like, yeah, it's like almost instantaneous, right? And I was like, my vagina is on fire right now. And you have done it wrong. 
<laughs> and literally, like, the doctors had to come in. She had actually put it up the wrong hole. So a lot of me waiting around was because I was delayed in A, getting laxative. B, they had to, like, treat the fact that the lady had essentially just tried to set my vagina on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you got a fire pussy. <laughs> for real, for real. But and how? Mm, yeah. She should be allowed to be a doctor. <laughs> no, she was a nurse. Oh, she should be allowed to be a nurse. So I think no, she's a student. A student. She's like. a student nurse. I'm sure she got in trouble for it. You know, but... I thought he was gonna tell me like there was a hot guy that came in. <laughs> oh yeah, and you're then starting. I, was like, I like him. So I want to stay here for longer. That's why I thought it was going. I wish. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, like so in um something like casualty where they have like students to come and they all stand around the body yeah. and they're like so what does this person <laughs> have <laughs> I always think that must be weird for the patient it's just laying there like and all these students are just staring at you no yeah <laughs> okay even though she's a trainee sorry I can't get over this because even though she's a trainee she has a vagina she has a how vagina how do you not know the difference between <laughs> she should know they look different though like a bum hole looks like a bum hole <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little bit lost where you're going at first. You look cute. Yeah. No, you know what you're doing. Vagina hole looks sexy. (laughs) And the thing is, she asked me, she was like, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? But I was so tired that I was like, it's fine. Just just stick it up up my bum hole. I love love anal anyway. (laughs) Stop it. But yeah, that's actually one of the reasons that I was even in the hospital as long as I was for the two weeks. So had that not happened, what's the average time that you're Um, supposed to spend? They really just want you to be able to pass, have a bowel movement, pee on your own, because I had a catheter in as well. So once mm. they took the catheter out, they want to make sure you can pee within 24 hours. Is um, that a bad thing? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Make sure you can walk um, and just kind of keep an eye on your stitches to make sure that they're okay. And my stitches were also soluble, so it's not even like I had to go back to the hospital to get them taken out. They just kind of dissolve over time. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. But you know, like, after it happened, like, and I know, like, uh, there was a sense of proudness that you felt, yeah? Not was initially. Like that. That's what I was going to say, like, what was it? when, Like, after it happened, how did you feel? Um, so I think, for me, it was a little bit different. So initially, I was kind of like, oh, just get me out of this fucking hospital. Because I was in there for <laughs> two weeks. I was away from my friends. Um, I wanted to see my mom. So, you know, like, it was... I remember the last day that we got to last day of the hospital when I was getting ready to leave, I asked my sister to come and bring me some stuff to change into. And she brought me like pajamas and I went apeshit on her. I was like, couldn't you bring me some decent clothes that I could leave the hospital in? I've been sitting in pajamas for the past two weeks. I literally went mad. So by that time, I was just like kind of itching to get out of the hospital. I spent a week. Um, at home recovering and then I went to uh, I don't know if anybody else knows what this is but I went to Appleton ATI which is like a nope. party weekend mm. in um, in Jamaica so yeah. I literally went from like <laughs> being in the hospital you to were like girl things. I need to live <laughs> I need to show this fire pussy off <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so after that and then I think um almost immediately after that my mom's kidney started to reject so I went immediately back into like how can I save her mode so I was like Mm. oh is there a way that we can fix this like can we just switch back out the kidneys or something like that um and obviously that wasn't the case and then that took about six months and then after that it was kind of like mommy's okay we can go back to normal Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until we started like talking to people about their stories and hearing about their stories that I was actually like right I'm kind of actually proud of the fact that Mm -hmm. I did this and not only the fact that I did it but the fact that we're able by doing it I'm able to have 
convinced other people that they should be doing it did as you, well. Did you get closer to your mom as a result of it? Um, I mean, my mom was always like super close to me. Mm. Um, so I think it it made us fight a little bit more because I was very much aware of how much I wanted her to take care of herself. Um, so my, both my mom and I were smokers um, before the surgery took place. And I remember maybe like a week before the surgery, we were, I was, we were staying in this apartment and I was on one balcony and she was on the other. And she was on the balcony above me. And I, I saw a cigarette butt drop down onto, the, onto my balcony. And she and I got in the hugest <laughs> fight. Bear in mind, I was also smoking on the balcony below. She just didn't know. <laughs> you shouldn't be smoking. Yeah, but she got caught. She got caught. I was smoking, though, but you shouldn't be smoking. But what it actually did was it brought my dad and I together. So I remember when we did this, a lot of people in my family and just like extended friends were like, you shouldn't do this. How can you take a kidney from your daughter? She's only 21, 22, whatever, whatever. Just like ignorant people not even trying to understand a perspective. Um, And my dad and I did not have a good relationship at all. Like growing up, we just due to various reasons that I'm sure I've spoken on the podcast before. We didn't get along. So the day before the surgery, he showed up. I didn't know he was there. So when we got, when I got out of the surgery, he was there. And he actually just came really hands-on. He was the one who was, like, combing my hair, helping to bathe me, helping mm. me to, like, get back up on my feet. He would wheel me upstairs to go and see my mom, even though they weren't on good terms. And it kind of broke the ice between us, and it made us that much closer. Like, after that, he came to visit me in England, and we had really honest and open conversations about the fact that, um, you know, we didn't have a good relationship and talked about how we could work to rebuild that. So I think had that not happened and had he not had that knee-jerk reaction to potentially losing his daughter, we wouldn't have been able, we wouldn't have been as close as we were. Mm. So it definitely, in that sense, um, had a huge impact on bringing the family members that I wasn't close to. Um, It reconciled a lot of the issues that we had. Is there something quite special about the scars as well that get left behind? Because I imagine with that kind of thing, I know it sounds hella corny, but like every time you look at it, you're kind of reminded. Do you know what's funny is that um, when I was after the scars, they asked me, they were like, we do have like a plastic surgeon on hand if you want to kind of reduce the scarring as much as possible, particularly the bikini one. And I said no at the time because I was like, yeah, these are my battle scars and like this is what, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, But then it's funny, as I kind of continued and time passed, I got became really self-conscious of them, particularly Mm. around men. So like, you know, if it was like the first time that I was naked in front of someone or like if I I had a boyfriend and they hadn't seen my scars before. I feel like I need to explain what Exactly. So I was just like, oh, just don't pay attention to the scars. They're just blah, 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 blah. So if I hadn't told the story up until that point, it was now time for me to explain that I'd given my mom a kidney and... It was more about will they find the scars unattractive and it made me really self-conscious until I shot with Henry. So Henry, big up Henry Robinson, who's a photographer. Um, Is it on that shoot where your hair's curling? Yeah. And it was one of the first nude shoots I'd ever done. And I was just like, oh yeah, feel free to edit the scars out and he's like why would I do that he was like that's one of the best things about you like that's one of the best things that is that's what makes the picture beautiful and it actually really made me appreciate so now when I look at those pictures I'm like oh damn that does look good like it is it builds character Mm. you know or it creates it gives my body character if that makes any sense and Mm -hmm. I feel like in a weird way 
that like because your mum's obviously passed now, mm-hmm. that that's like a closeness to her. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because every time it's like having it's like I'm, I hate when boys do this, yeah. But when boys like pet mums die or they're alive, they always tattoo mum. Oh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, but now I have the actual. But we actually scars. have like a yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. This is a real. This is a real deal. The really dealy. Yeah. Um, is there anything like that you wish you knew, going into it beforehand with hindsight? No, not really, because we were so well prepared. Like literally, mm. we had so many sessions. We were allowed to ask so many questions. Our doctors, Dr. Montgomery and Dr. Krause from Johns Hopkins University, were literally <laughs> amazing. Uh, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I said, how the hell did you remember their names? And you do this all the time. Like, you remember such specific things. No, because they literally treated us like family. Like, Aww. we went out for dinner together. Wow. Dr. Krause was... Dr. Kroos is Jewish. Did he pay? <laughs> he did. <laughs> Dr. Kroos was Jewish and um, he invited us to Seder dinner with his family. Aww. Like literally, they really, really, really loved my mom and embraced her. So, I mean, I remember they gave me like a plaque. They gave me, when I graduated from undergrad, they gave Aww. me a graduation present, even though I oh, had given them. The, after? Yeah, even now. So Aww. when stuff pops up and when actually when my mom got cancer, Dr. Krause came to visit my mom in the hospital. Like oh, Dr. Wow. Montgomery came out to the Cayman Islands and did sessions with the dialysis ner- nurses and doctors there to make sure that they were up to speed and up to date. They've really done amazing. Um, they've supported us beyond even the kidney surgery. 100%. Is the healthcare in Jamaica a lot better than the healthcare here? Um, I think it's more personable. So I would say that... Um, like when you go to the hospital, you're seeing the same person that you saw... Not even that, but I think people are just nicer. Like my biggest issue with NHS has been that there's this kind of clinical disconnect from recognizing that you're dealing with human beings and they're just looking at you like an extra bed, Mm. you know, because they are like tight on resources and I get that nurses are inundated and everything. But even though Jamaica has less resources, um, the nurses are nicer. They will go above and beyond. I can call a doctor at two o'clock in the morning and they'll answer a question or if there's an emergency, you know. And they also, I think, are more creative or more proactive about reconciling issues because Mm. they have less resources. So it's like, okay, we can't do this because we don't have a particular machine, but how can we fix the situation? Mm. So I think the patient is always more paramount. That's what I've experienced anyway. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. So now, as promised, we're going to hear a bit from Rachel Rosen, who is the regional manager of the London Organ Donation Team. And she's going to tell us a bit more about why organ donation is so important in the black community, some core statistics for you to find out, and a bit more about the new legislation on organ donation that is coming out this spring. Hi, I'm Rachel, one of the managers for the London Organ Donation Team. I'm also a nurse and I've been involved in organ donation for the past 15 years. This started when I worked in the intensive care unit and I would care for patients that would become organ donors before moving to be a specialist nurse in organ donation for NHS blood and transplant. Organ donation is so important in every community. However, in the black community, we know that donation rates are much lower than what they are in the white community. This is because families do not say yes when asked about organ donation. This is a problem because if you are waiting for a life-saving organ transplant, then you would be more likely to get a match from someone of the same ethnic background. This is because we use a person's blood group and something called tissue typing to match organs. 
And so because we are not getting consent for organ donation, this means that people from a black background will wait even longer on the transplant waiting list and could even die. We know that there are a lot of misconceptions in the black community surrounding organ donation. But I don't think that people realise that if they are not prepared to donate, then people from their own community will die. A lot of families use religion as a reason for organ donation to not go ahead. However, all religions are in support of organ donation. And as a nurse, we support many families from diverse cultures and faiths to ensure that their needs are met. We do this on an individual basis by asking families how we can support them. People from black communities are more likely to need an organ transplant because they are more susceptible to illnesses such as diabetes and high blood pressure, which can lead to kidney failure, meaning a person could need a kidney transplant. Because of this, patients from black communities are overrepresented on the transplant waiting list and therefore are more likely to die waiting for a transplant. Myths and barriers to organ donation are more prevalent in black communities. We hear things like, a doctor would not save a person's life as they want their organs. This is not true. Every effort would be made to save the life of someone as a priority. It's only when a doctor knows that a person has died or is about to die that the emphasis would move to end of life care considerations. An organ donation decisions would be explored in the same way that any funeral arrangements or anything relating to a person's faith would also be explored. The law around organ donation is changing in May of this year in England. With the changes, all adults covered by the law will be considered as having agreed to donate their own organs when they die, unless they record a decision not to donate. Even when the law change happens, you still have a choice as to whether or not you will be an organ donor and your family will still be involved before organ donation goes ahead. Whatever your decision is, make this decision clear to your family and your closest friends to ensure that your decision is honoured. We hope that the up and coming law change will help promote and encourage more people to have the conversation about organ donation and that more people and families will support donation and enable more lives to be saved. So please think about organ donation, please make your decision and please tell your family and friends what that decision is. Thank you. So as Rachel pointed out, donation rates for organs are much lower for black people than they are for white people. And because the blood type and the tissue type is so important to get a match on, we really think it's important that these conversations start becoming more regular in our families, in our homes, with our friends. Um, so I hope we can this can inspire some sort of change. Um, this spring, the law is changing and you'll now have to opt out if you don't want your organs to be donated after your passing automatically. You will still have a choice whether to be an organ donor and your families will still be involved before organ donation goes ahead. For more information, please visit www.organdonation.nhs.uk and we'll share some more useful links on us on our social media accounts. So thanks guys for listening. But before we wrap up, I just want to say that obviously, as Liv's pointed out, um, or as we've pointed out today, you know, organ donation is like a really personal choice. And I think everybody just needs to be really well educated before they make that decision. And 
as you said, kind of have the conversations with their families. However, I do think that blood donation is something that's really, it's an easier choice to make and it's something that's still really important to the black community as well. Um, you know, it takes nothing to give blood. It's really easy to sign up and you can save somebody's life. And again, bar religious reasons, I think that's also something that we should be informing ourselves about. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Dope Black Women One. And on Facebook, we are just Dope Black Women. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blacky black. Oh yeah, we don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, why are you staring at me? <laughs> Oh, oh, guys, we have to go back oh, to the old school where all three of us say it together. Okay, come. <laughs> all right, let's redo that. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black me black. Black tastic. <laughs>